I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Today, I'm really delighted to be chatting to Andrew Tomlinson, and he's a former journalist and he's head of content and commissioning at BBC Education. Now, in 2018, he launched BBC Teach, an online portal that provides teachers with free curriculum-based resources, which today is used by almost half of all teachers across the UK. So I really hope you enjoy this kind of behind the scenes or inside scoop from someone right at the heart of, of BBC Education and how these resources are here to support you. Hi, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. The BBC is something which not only everyone will know, but they'll be their sort of go-to resource for so many things, education specifically, obviously, here, but um, it's certainly for me in terms of recipes. I was on there yesterday um, finding things for uh, my latest liver and bacon recipe for my daughter as well. So mm, it's fantastic, fantastic to have you here. And thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Mark. So why don't we start with BBC Teach, because it's maybe not the thing that people hear as much as BBC Bite Size, and I don't know whether that's just that sort of COVID um, idea of that was the sort of the buzz that was yeah. going around and so many resources which were available very quickly. Yeah, I think the other reason is that we've only actually existed for the last five years. And, and initially it started as a channel on, on YouTube. Um, but I think what we had before was quite a sort of confusing offer in the sense that bite size content was rolled in with teach content. So two different audiences, we were, we were attempting to cater for two different audiences with one platform. And then somebody came up with a bright idea of saying, right, okay, why don't we do something specifically for teachers? Uh, and then it's clear that, you know, bite size is direct to students, BBC teaches, obviously, as it says, for teachers. Uh, and then we started building up uh, content in different forms uh, that would appeal to teachers, both at primary and secondary. And now sort of five years in, as I say, uh, you know, we're averaging around about 150,000 uh, unique views a week, which is great because there aren't actually that many teachers in the country. So quite a lot of them are using BBC Teach. We think about 40 percent are using it uh, every quarter, at least once. So, you know, from from a standing start five years ago, we think, you know, Teach is doing pretty well already, really. Yeah. And. And what do you sort of get in terms of sort of feedback? Is it in terms of we we trust the name, we 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 the resources are exactly what we want? What what is it that kind of you think draws people in initially? I think the thing that resonates the most are, are the short form uh, pieces of video content of which we have about 5,000 uh, ranging from you know, sort of early years all the way up to, to GCSE. And we're, we're not prescriptive. It's not our job to be prescriptive about how to, they're, they're the professionals, about how teachers use this content. So, you know, it could be to introduce the lesson, could be halfway through the lesson, it could be to set some homework, um, all of those things. And I think part of the appeal is that we're not prescriptive and we're saying, look, here, this piece of content will illustrate 
hopefully the point that you're trying to make in the classroom, the lesson that you're trying to deliver, uh, use it however you will. So we use animation, we use talent from right across the BBC, Natural History Unit for programs like Winter Watch, for example, uh, and uh, Blue Planet, those kind of things. We've got lots of content in there from BBC programs, but we've also got lots of short form class clips, as we call them, a commission from scratch. They don't involve any of those uh, big BBC names. But because we use teachers, educational consultants all the way through the process, we, we make sure that they really sort of nail the curriculum, if you like. You know, we're, we're not making anything that doesn't deliver the curriculum and help teachers do that. So that's our kind of USB, really, sort of BBC quality content, but also content that really delivers the curriculum. But as well as the, the class clips, of which, as, as I say, there are about 5,000, uh, live lessons are also BBC teachers kind of big thing, which are, um, well, they're all primary now. We, we did we did dip our toe in the water with secondary, but that one didn't really work out. So we do uh, primary live lessons on all sorts of subjects. So they're half hours that are streamed live into classrooms and they're doing really kind of great business at the moment. So we, we either look at things like uh, that teachers sometimes struggle to deliver because the resources aren't there, such as uh, Saver Internet Day, for example, or Anti-Bullying Week. Um, or we take big BBC brands, as, as I say, like Winter Watch, for example, or Operation Ouch, and we build uh, science, literacy or numeracy live lessons around those with the presenters of those programs and then sort of uh, stream them live into classrooms. And, and they're doing, as I say, really good business at the moment and teachers seem to, to really like them. And then the third thing that BBC Teach is all about really is, is hosting those kind of campaigns, uh, those kind of projects that the BBC does right across the BBC. They're not necessarily a BBC education project, but they do deliver an element of education. So Young Reporter, for example, is a literacy and uh, media literacy project, uh, which is hosted on Teach 10 Pieces, the classical music project. That's not something we make here at BBC Education in Salford, but it's something that we host on BBC Teach. So it's it's a host to other people's educational projects from across the BBC as well. So kind of that's the three things that we do in a nutshell, really. Yeah, and that's um, that's really interesting. I mean, I'm a musician myself, and and the and the ten pieces has been, you know, a real game changer for so many things. Nope. Because yeah, great. You know, I, I've certainly thought it would be great for them to hear Night of the Bear Mountain. You know, but my orchestra is not just available to, to time yeah. to do that and to get it all filmed and all that. So to have those those options, like you say, to be able to bring all those skills that the BBC has and be able to then focus it in such a way and I think what was so amazing is the fact that you you have the resources that support those sorts of things but like you say staff and teachers can take the bits that they want and put it into into the way that they're working as well and I think that flexibility is is a real asset yeah good so I'm glad you think that I mean what we're not in the business of doing is is lesson plans and saying this is how you must deliver this lesson on you know whatever it might be uh, as a piece of classical music for example um, that's up to the teacher. So, so we could do lesson plans, I suppose, if we chose. But having spoken to teachers, and we do speak to teachers a lot, you know, via focus groups and via visits to schools. And, you know, the feedback that we got was we don't want to be told how to do this. We don't want lesson plans, thanks very much. But we do want really great resources. So, you know, in a sense, that made life easier for us because, you know, that's what the BBC does. It makes really good video resources. So kind of we thought, great, that's what we do. Let's, let's concentrate on doing that. 
And you sort of touched on the idea of sort of the talent, as it were, in inverted commas before. Yeah. Um, I've I've certainly chatted to to some people who are teachers who've also been presenters on on some of the shows there. How does that come about? Is it people that you see, people you've come across, or people that sort of come to you? And and sort of what's that sort of progression like for them in terms of being the presenter in a classroom to then actually doing it sort of let's say for a video or for TV? Yeah, I think. Well, I think we took a few people, a few teachers by surprise uh, during lockdown because obviously we needed more presenters than ever at that point. And some of our educational consultants who we'd, you know, kind of met and worked with quite a few times, uh, we kind of quietly had half an eye on as presenters as well. So, you know, when we needed those presenters, we said, well, do you want to come and present as well and sort of try out, see how it works. Uh, so so we ended up with quite a few of the educational consultants that we used also uh, working as presenters. And as you know, you know, <laughs> you'll know this, but part of teaching is being a presenter, isn't it? You know, so there's quite a lot of talent within that profession. Uh, so, you know, it's kind of, there isn't really some standard route, but it's, it's a little bit ad hoc, but that's, that's kind of what happened during those two or three years of lockdown. And of course, you know, some of those teachers we, we stuck with um, and then sometimes they work really well together with you know a big name like Steve Backshaw for example uh, you know on a, on, a, on a big live lesson because you've got the educational credibility there but you've also kind of got the guy off the telly as well and that's quite a nice mix really so we, we like to do that mix sometimes. Yeah, and I guess, you know, like you say, when you're in the classroom, you're specifically speaking to this age group of children. And that's, if you can sort of take that through the lens, as it were, and and that come across sort of via the, the video or whatever, then mm. the, from a children's point of view, that must be a kind of a home from home, but in that slightly different setup. Yeah, and if they're seeing or hearing someone familiar, you know, whether they're a YouTuber or whether they're someone from CBBC, for example, you know, there's an immediate in there. You know, you it might not last, but you've got their attention to start with, um, and that's always a is a, a winner with you know sort of eight, nine, ten year old children, isn't it, to get their attention in the first place, frankly. And what's the the plan sort of from here on in? Is it just developing more resources and giving giving more support, or is it is it um, sort of open ended in terms of the content, or or what sort of yeah? How does that sort of look going forward? Well, we we've reached a point now where the content that we have in terms of, of class clips is. Uh, pretty strong as i say we've got about 5000 clips on there we we're not attempting to be universal comprehensive whatever word you want to use and deliver you know every part of of every curriculum in the country um but what we do like to do in the core subjects is make sure that we do have up to date content that delivers the curriculum as it stands so so we reached a sort of critical mass maybe i don't know a year or so ago where you know, we covered most things. And now it's a case of sort of saying, okay, when curricula do change, uh, are we making sure that we reflect that? Um, and, you know, when there are issues that uh, are something that perhaps, you know, we want teachers want to talk about in the classroom, do we have resources for them to do that? Do those resources still stand up to scrutiny, you know, two or three years later? Uh, if not, let, let's do it again, uh, uh, you know, new presenters, a new approach, whatever that works for the classroom now. Because, you know, as you know, particularly those subjects around, as I, which I mentioned earlier, around sort of, um, you know, safer internet day and online safety and that kind of thing, change all the time. So, you know, we've done a, probably now three or four um, pieces of safer internet day content because 
you know, things change, don't they? And, you know, devices change and issues change. And so what we're trying to do is make sure that the content, that anyone who uses the content can be sure that when they go on to BBC Teach, you know, they'll they'll find something that is contemporary and delivers the message that they want to deliver effectively now and is not something that's kind of five years old and misses the point on several things. So it's about keeping things, as I say, ticking over is probably underplaying it a bit, but keeping things fresh and making sure that, you know, everything on there works for teachers. Yeah, and we like I say, we know what's relevant and, yeah. and appropriate today can be different tomorrow. Yeah. Even if you thought it was coming, you, you probably couldn't second guess some of those things. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've seen the, when we do slip behind a little bit, you know, the emails start to come in quite quickly saying, hang on a minute, this isn't on the curriculum anymore. Or hang on a minute, we don't teach, you know, internet safety like that anymore. So, so you know, we're, we're on it. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you mentioned sort of going and, and visiting BBC Teach. What's the kind of sort of the user um, way of life these days? Is it always going to the website? Is it YouTube? Is it sort of through the social media avenues? What, what are you sort of noticing? Well, I, uh, all, all of those, all of the above to an extent, but the, 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 the emphasis has shifted. Uh, so there is, you know, quite a healthy community on facebook but what we try not to do is to put the content on there so it's not our content platform it's to allow teachers to give teachers the chance to have a chat about our content whether they like it or not you know to to when we have a particularly significant sort of suite of new content we'll we will sort of publicize it essentially on on facebook but more than that you know let teachers have a look and tell us what they think um but also YouTube, we, we did have a big debate actually at the beginning of all of this when when we did manage to secure a website, but we already had BBC Teach on YouTube. What was the right thing to do? Was it that was the right thing to do to sort of back away from YouTube and just go with the website? And we decided that actually there was a, a case for running both. You know, people have their preferences. Uh, some would like to use YouTube. Others schools don't allow YouTube. Uh, there are different kinds of things you can do with the YouTube content uh, on on uh, on YouTube compared to, to to the BBC site. Uh, you know, in terms of compilations and things, for example. And also, you know, you I suppose you could if you wanted to, but actually, it makes it's much more secure and much safer and much easier for teachers if we do the live lessons via BBC Teach. You know, via BBC.co.uk. So we took that decision that we keep both of those platforms. Uh, operating and it seems to have paid off they seem to sort of feed each other in a sense you know if, if someone's seen something they like on youtube when they're prepping a lesson for example but actually they want to use it in the classroom uh they'll know it's on bbc teach as well so they can you know use the bbc teach one in the sense that it's you know potentially sort of safer because you don't know sometimes what's going to pop on you pop up on youtube do you so you know we, we, we've got all those platforms and i think they all play their part essentially and I think that's really interesting for people to hear because very often it's that kind of, I need to live here, I need to live there, I need to find things there. But I think we know from um, a social and um, idea that, you know, we might be on different social platforms. We, mm. we might find resources in different ways. And so just being a teacher, that doesn't necessarily change. You know, we, we go to what we like and, and where we sort of hang out in inverted commas. Yeah. Um, 
And but then, like I say, where you then want to use that within any given part of your life is is important as well because the, mm. YouTube is is a classic example of you know the video finishes something comes comes up you don't want the children to see yeah. so having a safer way of doing it or being able to download something but you can't download it here but you can view it here all of that sort of stuff but you sort of start to find your feet don't you and I think that's where mm. the the individuality comes in so offering a, a selection of things is going to be beneficial for everybody yeah I hope so it's an unusual approach for the BBC because the BBC's general sort of attitude to well YouTube in particular but other social platforms is it's a way to promote what we do on co.uk uh, whereas with Teach, it's slightly different. We're saying, well, actually, you can consume it on YouTube or you can consume it on co.uk because that's the behavior of our audience and they they want that choice. So in that sense, we're kind of, you know, breaking boundaries a bit, I suppose. Yeah. And, and um, from a podcaster's point of view and, and, a, and a media point of view, that that's interesting, like I say, that distinction, because, of course, one of the things the BBC in sort of creating BBC Sounds was rather than being to sort of disperse across all the platforms, it wants you to go into BBC Sounds to get all of that things, which I think has been very successful because you kind of know if it's BBC related, it's going to be there and you better find it really easily. And that doesn't seem to have made any difference to people. They've sort of made that part of their kind of listening world. And, and But like I say, what you're doing kind of changes that model, but you can also see why that would be a benefit as well. Yeah, I mean, as you quite rightly point out, our, our USP is, is trust. Uh, in terms of our content and hopefully everywhere else. Um, and so, you know, uh, if, if if a consumer, in this case a teacher, knows that uh, where they're going is, is a trusted source and it's a trusted platform and all of that, that gives us a massive, you know, head start um, compared to some of our commercial competitors because we are in a competitive world. Whatever, whatever anybody says, there's a lot of players out there providing content potentially for teachers to use and parents. Uh, so, you know, every every company involved in that market has to ask itself kind of what's its USP and, and you know, right across the BBC, BBC Teach included, our USP is trusted content. And you mentioned there that sort of the separating the perception of bite size and teach out means that, you know, the relative people can go to those those separate places sort of with, with sort of a knowledge and an understanding of what they're going to see. But is there any sort of natural crossover in terms of being able to sort of, I guess, the teachers saying, oh, but it's obvious that this particular piece of bite size content is something that you can now watch, which they would have sort of found in the teach side of everything. Yeah, that's a yeah, really good question. So what we're trying to do better and i guess if i was really honest haven't done as well as we should have done over the last maybe two or three years is is to signpost from content on teach which teachers might want to use in the class or have used in the classroom to uh content complementary content on bite size that they can they can set as homework um or you know even as revision content um so we have a team i have a team who are working on that at the moment they're going through the links between all of those con all of that content on the different platforms and making sure the links are better more visible more easily to more easy easier to follow i should say um all of those things uh, so yeah good question we're, we're working on that but we're definitely not there yet 
And I think all these things, they're a journey, aren't they? It's something that I've been talking about a lot today in terms of, you know, you can sit down today and have a, a year plan or a five-year plan. But like I said, the content changes all the time. So therefore, that's going to morph anyway. And then also the way people are working are going to change. And then and people's then perception of of what, like I say, they think that link might be or wanting to signpost mm. um, children to something that you've done in, in class is an obvious thing at the moment and then all of a sudden like I say something that we've no idea about comes six months down the line and therefore that yeah. makes that either impossible or not a good idea or whatever the scenario happens to be so I can see you know it, it's it's that journey and that general morph and as you start to see that trend I guess that's where you focus those resources and and start to make more of an impact and then you sort of change as and when you need to yeah so we have you know a fairly set plan at the beginning of the and it's kind of what I've been talking about to my colleagues today actually a set plan about what we want to commission uh, and what we want to produce for the year but as you rightly say you know that can easily change you know in the case of secondary an exam board can change its specifications quite quite quickly without much warning so we'll have to you know reflect that for example uh, or something is you know no longer deemed uh, worthy of teaching in the classroom in i don't know mfl or whatever it might be so we have to remove that so so yeah we're, we're quite nimble we try and keep nimble so that we can commission new content or remove content if necessary uh, but it's you know as you know it's always important to have a sort of master plan in the first place and then be able to sort of adapt that if you need to really so that's our kind of that's the way we operate really yeah um and, and i know you sort of wear different hats in in terms of your job i'm just i'm sure people will be curious in terms of how sort of the education is not viewed within the bbc but in terms of how it sort of works with different departments um what's that relationship like in 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 terms of i guess communication and sort of perception and that sort of thing well i have to say it's improved hugely in terms of of children's content because until uh, four years ago, um, BBC Children's and BBC Education were two completely separate departments, um, although both based here in, in Salford. Um, but now we are BBC Children's and Education. And, you know, clearly it kind of goes without saying really that there's a lot of synergies between children's content and education content, particularly in primary and particularly in early years where, you know, that the learning in CBB's early years content isn't really that different from our early years content on bite size. So there's a lot of crossover using uh, using uh, brands like Number Blocks, for example, from from children's from CBBS to to deliver numeracy for those preschool children, for example. So the communication there has got a lot better because we're now the, the same department. But I also think that since since lockdown and the work that we did during lockdown and and what that did to bite sizes profile in particular. I think other parts of the BBC are kind of more interested in us than they used to be. So, you know, we we have um, a media literacy project running with BBC News, for example, called The Other Side of the Story. Um, and we also have uh, the Natural History Unit working with us uh, on uh, Frozen Plant 2 and the content there around, you know, sustainability and the environment those kind of things they're just a couple of examples we've worked with current affairs for example on some content for gcse so you know i think they're more open to working with this is other parts of the bbc more open to working with uh, bbc education than than they were uh because partly because of lockdown really and i guess that's really exciting because it means that the conversations start much earlier yeah. so like you say that, that there's a there's a, a large project going on which 
may have an education bent but not the, the main focus which now might have someone saying actually there's a whole thing that i've thought of here that might actually tie in really nicely that like say you can be you can be part of in those early stages which then can affect the overall field and, and give you the sorts of insights that like, say that the bbc can do and provide which would be very much harder for someone else yeah and that's that's exactly what happened with frozen planet 2 uh, which was last year, um, and uh, they they were aware, obviously, because of maybe because of lockdown. I don't know about the things that uh, BBC Education did, and and in their initial commissioning, we were factored into that, you know, so that we had BBC Teach content, not just in terms of class clips from the series, but also a live lesson featuring talent, including voiceover from David Attenborough in the live lesson, uh, and and that's the kind of thing that you can't sort of reverse engineer so that you know once they've made all of this stuff you go oh, by the way could you get david to do a sir david to do something for us it has to be there in the first place and it was there in the first place so we ended up with some you know really quality uh, real quality educational content that wasn't an afterthought and i think the um well one the synergy but also i think that that link especially for younger children that everything is touchable and around them you know that sense that you know something as like say as big as a program like that which is nothing to do with me because it's it's on the telly yeah. it's you can you know it's vast in terms of its of its what it's perceiving and, and like say so david doing all of all of his work on it but then all of a sudden it's coming into my classroom or it's, it's in my lesson and actually this is all part of my world and actually like say with social media and that sort of thing now maybe i can i can send a message somewhere and someone might answer and all that sort of thing and it brings everything in into sort of the sphere of, of education generally but also that's quite exciting then in terms of well actually i might want to do something like this maybe in media maybe not in media but every, everything is suddenly seems much more possible rather than i need to go in the old days you know to the big city to be able to do x y, x, y yeah. and z and, and i think even if that's just a perception to begin with the educational benefit of that from a psychological point of view is really important yeah i agree and it's it's part of what we're we're trying to do so when when a live lesson goes out, for example, we have a, a live page which allows the schools who are involved to contact us during the live lesson on behalf of their kids, uh, sending images, sending comments, and then most recently in a, in our winter watch live lesson, for example, uh, Chris Packham was answering questions live from the location of winter watch to kids in classrooms in you know sort of Hull and Surrey and Scotland, whatever you know. Um, and I think, you know, the reaction we get afterwards in terms of the emails and things that we get from schools is that, you know, the kids would just, they realized how close it was to them, really. You know, you you actually have, you know, this guy on the TV answering a question live to them in their classroom. And it's sort of, yeah, as you put it, it sort of brings it all closer to home and it makes it feel real. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a very exciting prospect. And, uh, and certainly, I mean, my my daughter's just doing GCSEs now, but every now and again, there's these sorts of conversations of kind of, oh, this is this is part of my world, and and it's something which I've sort of grown into, and it, and just, you know, as you start to do A levels and then thinking about what you're going to do afterwards, it's sort of it's not such a not such a leap now. I don't know, maybe it wasn't mm. before, but certainly from a parental point of view, it seems like there's sort of natural steps going on, which I I really enjoy. Um, do you have um, an an education experience or or a teacher that had an impact on your life? And I'm I'm always 
interested in terms of how maybe that kind of interaction or, or that experience that you had filters into what you do now in terms of your perception of education or how you sort of try and put things together? Yeah, well, my educational experience, um, this might sound quite unremarkable, but I think it's important because it is unremarkable. It is I went to a large comprehensive school in a small town in, in the northeast of England. And, you know, what that's always said to me and also friends that I still have from that school is that, you know, you can you can achieve, you can go on and do interesting jobs in interesting parts of the world, whatever your school background was. And, and I, I'm a believer in everybody as far as possible, being given the best start they can, you know, and, and equality to some degree in that. Now, how, how, how that's delivered is obviously up for debate. And I don't want to get into that now because, you know, it's, uh, I'm part of the impartial BBC. But but I would say, you know, uh, yeah, my educational experience is that um, a, a very good thing for me and a lot of the people around me was to go to, to a, a non-selective school uh, where you met people from all walks of life, um, all kinds of backgrounds. And when a school like that is run well, it's a very successful experience. And, and if you're asking me about an individual teacher, well, <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I, well, I will name names, I, I guess. My, my math teacher, um, my GCSE math teacher, Mrs. Gent, she was just a fantastic, um, patient, uh, compassionate, person who knew how to get the message across to well non-mathematicians like me and help us kind of you know not not just scrape through but get like a b in maths when frankly you know without a teacher like her we'd never have got there but also also she was a really good tennis player and would go and play tennis with you in the evening so i'll never forget her she was great yeah and i i love that in terms of you know the type of person they are and and also how they can connect like I say so it might be a purely social thing it might be the mm. fact that they you know you sort of see each other or being compassionate and understanding and, and all of that and it's always those people that kind of well I think even even as an adult isn't it it's those people that you connect with and then from there like I say they can guide you in whichever way that happens to be whether it's a work or a learning yeah. environment you can't you kind of feel like there's a, a trust there which I guess sort of feeds that's right into that yeah kind of BBC really idea I'm happy here you know kind of thing yeah definitely a trust there yeah yeah um what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given or indeed is there a piece of advice you would give your your younger self now looking back well yeah i guess um one of the pieces of advice that's that stuck with me is about about how you judge is the wrong word but how you assess how much success how how well you've done in life how you're doing um and and there was a guy who was a, a friend of my mother's when i was quite young uh, and he said you know you'll meet people in life who have got very different backgrounds to you in terms of you know how much money their parents have how privileged they are or all of those kind of issues um and i think one of the things that stuck with me is he said just just be careful just think about how you judge yourself from your background and don't you don't have to necessarily sort of pitch yourself against people who perhaps had a, a, an easier start in life or have uh, skills that were given to them by their parents that didn't quite happen to you just be happy with what you're achieving and think about how you're achieving within the context of of how you started your life and how you were brought up and 
And I do that. I tend to think, you know, sometimes you can get, sometimes ambition takes over, doesn't it? And you'll kind of say to yourself, why am I not this? And why am I not doing this job? And I actually, you know, I think one of the keys to sort of sanity for me is to go, well, actually, you know, done okay and you know that that didn't go as well as it could have done but this did and but in the context of the way I was brought up and the place I was brought up and all of that done all right here and so you know it's all about how you assess how you've done I think and I think Doug when he told me that when I was sort of 17 years old sort of I think I looked sort of a little bit baffled probably but I I know what he means I know exactly what he means. He's, it's about kind of see everything in context, try and think about the context. You know, don't just leap to a conclusion about how you've done. Think about how you got there and think about the context. So that's the piece of advice that I seem to follow all the time. Yeah, I really love that. And I think, like say, that perception of, of those things. And also, I like the fact that you said you might have been slightly baffled at 17. But I oh, think, well, I was, yeah. <laughs> it took when me all ages these things to realise what he, what he was talking about, to be honest. Yeah, but but if you never hear it, you never know. And like you say, you've yeah. obviously taken it on board and it's been an integral part of what you of what you think now. And, and, and I think so much of your background, like you say, you can blame circumstances on that. But yeah. it can give you a superpower. It gives you a perception that someone else doesn't have. Um, and like you say, what you deem to be successful for whatever that happens to be is is all relevant uh, relative as well so mm. um yeah i think focusing on your journey and, and the journey being the important part rather than the end game i think is, is is really really important but i think that confidence that you know the ability to to forge a future and and work in a certain profession and have respect for the abilities that you've got and and how you can sort of socialize and move within society i think you know it it, it can be an issue for for quite a lot of kids from sort of you know uh, big comprehensive high schools you know they they they're not surrounded by super confident people who have all the right connections and i think it's really important that they know that that their views and their opinions and their thoughts on things are just as valid as anybody else's. And I think sometimes that they lose sight of that or never had sight of it in the first place because they're not from that culture which tells them that yes you know what you're saying is is right it's good it's on point you know you, you can get your message across they don't go to debating societies and that kind of thing and I didn't when I went to my school and I think you know there's some great work actually being done by you know various people Steph McGovern for example going into mainstream schools and saying essentially you know you're just as good as these other kids don't forget that you know your views matter just as much as theirs and your opinions and the thoughts matter just as much and I think you know the more of that's going on the better yeah and I think you're right the more people who are talking about it the more places you hear that and the more you come across it then it be, like I say it becomes part of your frame of reference doesn't it like you say yeah. and enough of that and you start going oh there you know there's a a thread of truth here which I can't sort of um, get away from and then I think you know, like I say the snowball effect of that's incredibly positive agree um is there a resource you'd like to share and it can be anything from a video film podcast book um can be professional or or personal but something which has had a bit of an impact on your life from an from a kind of how it's how it's impacted my life well i wonder if it's a resource or not but there's a film that changed my take on life um if if that counts um and 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 
it might sound a bit strange, but that film was Broadcast News, which was, I don't know if you remember Broadcast News from the sort of late 80s. It's not a classic or anything, but it's one of those things where um, I was, at the time, I was training to be a lawyer. I was, you know, doing a law degree at Leeds University, and that was what I said. And it's, and you're asking what changed my life. Well, I saw that film and I thought, I don't actually want to be a lawyer. I want to be in broadcasting. I'm going to go and do that. And I did that. And so, you know, until about 10 years ago, I was a broadcaster, uh, radio and TV um, in news and current affairs. Uh, And uh, so if you're saying what film changed my life, I guess broadcast news changed my life because I stopped being a lawyer or training to be a lawyer and became a broadcast journalist. Yeah, I love that, and I and I and I love the fact it can be anything. Like you say, it's not necessarily some number one selling book no. or or anything like that. It's whatever yeah. speaks to you for whatever reason, and that was obviously the right thing at the right time. Yeah, that's quite a lowbrow example. I realise that, and and I do realise that broadcast news is a bit cheesy and and all of that, but it it actually did that job. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> um and and finally um the acronym fire is obviously very important with us here education on fire and by that i mean feedback inspiration resilience and empowerment what is it that strikes you when you hear those words well um resilience i think is the one that sticks out most to me initially um and something that you know frankly i myself and my partner have had to have a a lot of uh in the last few years uh we adopted two boys from quite difficult background and our lives changed hugely in the space of you know obviously a few days uh and the and and i didn't realize i had those depths of resilience so when you say what does resilience mean to me it kind of means that and and also the example that they show the boys, I mean, with their resilience, you know, having been through some, you know, really difficult times in their young lives, uh, you know, that that's that's what resilience is. And also, you know, you ask about empowerment, you know, uh, uh, empowering those children to believe that they've got a future and that there is a life for them and that despite all the terrible things that happened to them when they were younger, that they, they, they do they do have a future. Um, yeah, so as part of the acronym, I think, you know, the, the empowerment side of it, that's that's what I would pull out, really. And, and I, I always love it when they sort of they sort of tie in together in some form or another. And I think, like say, that's can be different for each 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 person. And I also like the way that it very personally ties into what you were saying before about your schooling as well. You know, you know, this is my world because it was where I was born and, and what I'm used to. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that my life will look like the same yeah. as the other person's from a different background. And, right. you know, this is a, this is a very integral sort of heartfelt and personal one of those that, you know, if you've had real tragedy or real, mm. real hardship, you know, you can, you can put all sorts of things on that in terms as you go through, but to kind of start to give yourself um, not a blank canvas, because I think all that stuff is inherently in you, but how you deal with it, frame it, make it part of who you are for the for the for good as you move forward is well one it's a gift to be able to to be someone who can do that but i can see how those two things really sort of you know sort of a, a theme sort of running through your life yeah i mean i'm a i'm big on social mobility i think social mobility in this country needs to be better and and i and i know it it can be done because you know my story is a bit of a social mobility story and so are my kids 
So, you know, uh, that's why it's my hobby horse. And, you know, I can talk about it all night if you want. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for sharing, well, one, the personal side of that story, but also everything about um, BBC Teach as well. I think it's it's always fascinating for me once you get sort of behind the video, as it were, behind the website and to sort of hear how it comes about and the people involved. It sort of brings that personality to life, which I think um, is is incredibly important for people that use it. But I think also for those people that, um, like I say, have that faith and that confidence in obviously what the BBC are doing as well. And, and that sort of personal element is a, is a really fascinating thing. So thank you so much indeed. Absolute pleasure, Mark. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.